Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another BP Movie Journal. I'm David. I'm Tyler. These are the movies we watched recently. All right. Why don't you start? You've, <laughs> for, for the first time in a long time, you've seen... Well, that's not true. I've seen a ton of shit yeah, you've recently. Seen exponentially more movies than I have, but, but in a different we, capacity. We just did... Um, the episode that will be the main episode of the show that'll be coming up this week is the LA film fat LA film fest recap. Yeah. Um, where Kyle Anderson and I, uh, told you Tyler about all the movies that we saw at LA film fest. So I've seen a ton of stuff, but I'm not going to rehash everything that we're just about, about to talk about. So the tables have turned. Now Um, it's Tyler's day in the sun. Yeah. So why don't you, why don't you start? You know, I mean, I, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll make it. I don't know. I, I wonder if there are people who only listen to the movie journals. Cause I know there are people who have said they like the movie journals more than the regular. Right, they're, now. they're incorrect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They're both great. Um, so how about I do a real quick best of LA film fest inside sure. inside out is amazing, okay. but that's not, that's hardly an LA film fest. They do like these pre screenings of like yeah. bigger stuff. And then they have the smaller stuff, but inside out is one of the best films. Of the, it actually is my number one of the year. Uh, currently, um, uh, and then there was a documentary called the, the Babushkas of Chernobyl. I hope that gets a release. And there's a German film called Victoria that um, it's going to sound like I'm selling it on a gimmick in the sense that it is a single two hour and 15 minute unbroken take um, that goes all around this neighborhood in Berlin. Um, but it's more than like it. That's not just a gimmick that's used incredibly well. And it's uh uh, an incredibly emotional, intense movie. So check out Victoria. I've said before that we need to do an episode about gimmicks and what what that even means. And w- like, a gimmick is only a directing choice, like a very specific directing choice, often a stylistic one. Um, although not necessarily, sometimes it's story structure. Um, if it doesn't work for the person, they'll call it a gimmick. If it does work, they'll say it's bold. It's this amazing right. choice, you know. But you know, I, I think I am. A gimmick is a negative thing. I think. Yeah, and but here's the thing: if something feels like a gimmick, I'm a little bit wary from the jump. Sure. So sometimes that can be a hindrance to me to an otherwise good movie. Like it, it as you know from us being friends for a long time, it took me a while to like Memento as much as I eventually did. Right. Um, because I was. Uh, a little bit skeptical of, uh, you know, am I just liking this movie because it's clever? Um, and I, you know, once I got over myself a little bit, I realized, no, it actually uses that really well. And also I, an argument could be made like, is there something wrong with liking a movie because it's clever? You know, like <laughs> I guess that it's that just cleverness just seems like a fleeting and superficial yeah. thing. Um, and cleverness will probably lead to a certain degree of uh, self-satisfaction. Smarminess. Yes. Yeah. Which I feel like I don't respond well to. Yeah. But, uh, Victoria is, uh, it's really amazing. I hope people get to see it. It's, uh, one of my favorite movies I've seen this year so far, but why All don't right. you start with the movies proper? Okay. Why don't you do two? I, uh, do two of them. Okay. Yep. So I watched for the very first time, because uh, as listeners of More Than One Lesson know, Josh and I have been working our way through the best pictures. And uh, and once we got into the 80s, there are a couple of movies that I that I had not seen. Including Out of Africa. Including Out of Africa Can and I The Last a, Emperor. A quick story. Sure. Just two nights ago, uh, my wife and I went and did uh, pub trivia at uh, Pitfire Pizza near okay. our uh, home. We, we can walk pizza, there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pizza's decent. They allow uh, dogs. They allow dogs, so it's we, we walk there with the dogs. It's a place we go a lot on Tuesday nights to do trivia. And then they do a... You've been to these sort of things. Mm-hmm. They do a drinking round. The drinking round this time was one one person from each uh, person goes up, to, and then they go... She The quiz master just went around the circle, and you had to name a movie that John Williams did the score for. Oh, my. And if you either got one wrong or, as happened multiple times said something that someone else had already said you were out. And so it just kept going until, and I didn't win. It came down to me and another guy and I blew it. Cause you know what I said? What'd you say? The color purple. Cause I was just at that point it had been going on so long that I was just like, what Spielberg films haven't been named yet. Yeah. Uh, John Williams didn't do the color purple. Interesting. The one I forgot that I should have done, uh, was empire of the sun. Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, you, I mean, he also, I, he's also worked with Oliver Stone quite a bit. Uh, see, I wish I, th- I, th- I feel like the only, um, 
non-Spielberg one I could think of was Harry Potter and someone beat, uh, beat yeah. me to it. And you can only do Home alone for, uh, see, I didn't think about that for, um, one of her rules was for franchises. You can only name it once. You couldn't do like Jurassic mm. park, the lost world. Like once Jurassic park was named, it was the whole yeah. franchise out of the room. So someone named Harry Potter. So I couldn't do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the guy who won did remembered that John Williams did out, out of Africa, which is, mm. uh, uh, not a Spielberg film and not one I would have thought of, but I made it to almost, you know, I was the second to last guy and it was even like, I got color purple wrong and she was like, okay, but wait, because you can't, he doesn't win just because you got it wrong at this right. point. He has to get one right. And so he came up with, he pulled out of Africa and, uh, I, I, would I didn't love, get free drinks. I would love a game like that. Uh-huh. Just, but I also feel like I would, I would choke. Like I would forget literally everything that I know. Yeah. Um, and when you have, when you have other people like using up your standbys, like with, yeah. with John Williams, it's like JFK and Nixon. No one. Yeah. And I don't think no anyone got either one of those, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's star Wars, by the way. Yeah. Star Wars and, and, and Superman. Named, uh, Superman was one of the first named. Yeah. I went with close encounters right off the bat. Sure. Uh, Cause I like Indiana that. Jones. Because it's great. Yeah, Indiana Jones was named. I think the ones I went with were all Spielberg. It was close encounters. My first one. I also went with the terminal. Cause I knew having that in my pocket, I was like, no one's going to get the terminal. Yeah. Uh, War of the Worlds was yeah. one. Catch Munich. Munich. Someone got to catch me. It was on my list. Someone got and to And that's one of those I better could. scores. I like that's that one a great a lot. score. Yeah. Um, anyway, what did you watch? I watched Chariots of Fire for oh. the first time. I'd never seen it before. Speaking of classic scores. Uh, yeah. Oscar winning score. I've never seen it either. I just know the music. Yes, everybody does. And uh, the music is fine. It's anachronistic. It's a lot of synth. It's Vangelis. I don't mind that. Um, I do not mind anachronistic music. I don't mind it either. Sometimes except, I often like it a lot. I don't mind it either, except when it's super dated, like oh. <laughs> the music of Vangelis, you know? Um, you know, when you've got a lot of synth, it works for Blade Runner. Yeah. Doesn't work so well for the, you know, for 1930s. But then also it's just like, but if we still were into that kind of music, that type of of synth score, but synth has I come back, be, right? Like look at like the not, guest and drive and all that stuff. Like not like this though. Okay. Like this is a really hokey, almost. Uh, oh, it doesn't almost, have that sort of almost like, soap opera kind of synth. right. Like the synth we see now is almost it's a little bit detached and yeah. cold in some ways. Yes, very much so. Yeah. It's uh, I'd say there's a definite coolness to it, but um, yeah, and uh, so I feel bad saying that like the music is still effective in other areas, but uh, it's a really really good movie. Uh, I liked it a lot. Um, and to give a little bit of uh, behind the scenes, um, Chariots of Fire is one of those movies that Christians like. Okay. All right. Um, because it's about, it's a true story and it's about, it focuses primarily on these two runners. One of them is Jewish and the other is a Christian. They don't necessarily have a rivalry. The Jewish guy has a, a, a rivalry with the Christian one because he just, he, tends to have a chip on his shoulder about uh, feeling excluded because of his uh, Judaism. And so, um, but anyway, so the, the portrait of the Christian guy is that he comes from a family of missionaries and rather than go back into the mission field, he feels like, no, I think what I'm supposed to do is run really fast. And, and his, and his father says that that's, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you can glorify God that way as long as you do it with all your heart, you know? And so all this stuff comes along and there's a lot of, you know, I'll probably do a full episode about it uh, as far as more than one lesson goes. Um, it's a very, very good movie. Um, it's, it's very well paced and, um, it's just, a, I don't know. I, I, I highly recommend it. I think it's a movie that uh, people, because of that score, I think people think like, I got it. It's a racing movie. Got it. Um, but there's a lot more going on and sure. you get Racing a really picture. Yeah. It's <laughs> Wrestling picture. Wall of spirit. Yeah. Wouldn't need a roadmap. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, but I, I'm, I'm very happy that I saw it. Uh, really great performances all around. Uh, Ian Holm got his sole Oscar nomination for that film. For How sport. is that possible? I know. How is he not recognized for a lifeless ordinary? <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> I would have jumped to, um, the fifth element oh, myself, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Mid nineties Ian home. That was a, that was oh, a sweet had, spot there. You had madness and King George. He's sure. great in that. Yeah. Um, you had sweet hereafter, which I think is maybe yeah. his best performance. Uh, his, um, Kenneth Branagh collaborations yeah. like Hamlet and Henry the fifth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but of course, like you can point to Ian home, at any point, and he's doing great and amazing work. Yeah. You know, 
Did you ever see The Emperor's New Clothes? I didn't. It's not very good. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's good in it, but uh, I remember seeing the trailer and being like, is this like a romp? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's weird. But uh, but no, I was very happy that I saw Chariots of Fire. I highly recommend it if you, you know. That's the thing, going through these best pictures, it has... It has surprised me because you have certain ideas. Like I had an idea of Out of Africa before I watched it, and that it was it was going to be boring. And there's a reason people don't talk about it anymore. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and it wound up being actually pretty good. And then same with Chariots of Fire. It's like again, racing picture, got it. <laughs> and it turned out to be way more complex than that. And so, uh, so yeah, I saw Chariots of Fire. Uh, am I doing another one? Yep. Okay. I saw Love and Mercy. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which uh, I really, really responded to. Um, as you know, anytime you see a biopic of an artist, I feel like there's always the te- the temptation to be like, oh, people know their art. We don't <laughs> need to focus on that. You know, and they'll just focus on all these other things. Like, that's fine, but this guy's, you know, mental issues are not why we're watching a movie about him. There are other movies like Shine where that is why we're watching the right. film, but even he has, you know, even that film focuses on his musical ability. Um but this one, it really shows like as he's, you know, as Paul Dano as the young Brian Wilson is like putting pet sounds together and you come to realize just how much instrumentation it had and but how detailed it was. On my old TV podcast previously on mm-hmm. uh, with my friend Sean, we would talk about things that's, that are there are things in pop culture that everyone loves and yet are still somehow underrated because mm-hmm. we talked about the Sopranos like that. Yeah. Um, and I've often felt that way about the musical black Sabbath and the beach boys are one too. Like, I mean to people who know, yeah, it's amazing, but there are, there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, the beach boys surfing like fun stuff and don't yeah. like go that much deeper. Yeah. Which is what that. they were for a while. Right. Just like the Beatles were, you know, pop let's, yeah. Let's, hold uh, your hand, yeah. Sort of, yeah. And so, um, and I actually went with, uh, Josh, my co-host, cause he's a huge beach boys fan. And so I thought it'd be interesting to go with him. And now he already knew of a, a great deal of the stuff in the film. Um, and so he said that he thought, he thought maybe that kind of hampered his enjoyment a little bit cause he was telling him stuff he already knew. But for me, I didn't, I knew a little bit about Brian Wilson's life, not much. And so this was very informative and very fascinating. And so you see him when he's a young man and when the, I would say the mental issues are really starting to develop. Then you see him in the eighties when boy, oh boy, you know what? I don't, I know it's a weird thing to talk about spoilers cause you can research any of this. Yeah. What, it, what he is in the middle of in the eighties, I don't even want to reveal Oh, okay. Because the way the story, first off, we see it having to do with Paul Giamatti's character. Yeah. yeah. And because that's the thing we see that we see uh, John Cusack's, he plays Brian Wilson in the eighties. We see him kind of through the eyes of Elizabeth Banks, which plays his love interest, which means stuff is revealed to us the way it's revealed to her. And so the situation very slowly comes into focus and then it is a very sharp focus and you realize, Oh my gosh, this is awful. Uh, really well edited, really well put together. Um, wonderful acting. So they're like the four big performances are Paul Dano, John Cusack, Paul Giamatti and Elizabeth Banks. All four of them do a great job. I personally am happy to see Paul Giamatti playing a, a big and significant role in a movie again. I feel like it's been a while since he's done that Hmm. great as he was in Cosmopolis. And he was, um, I feel like, I don't know. I, I feel like he hasn't been like the lead in something. He's not a lead in this, but like okay. he's had like smaller supporting performances. And this is a, in my opinion, a very like almost an Oscar caliber performance. Did you see, there's a movie I never saw that I wanted to, uh, called cold souls. Did you see that? I didn't where he plays himself or a version of himself. Right. It's very Kaufman esque. Yeah. Um, that sounds really interesting. Yeah. That's a few and, years old at this point. Now. Yeah. And like even Barney's version at this point, right. you know, is, is a few years old. So it's not, I mean, he, he's been working very consistently, but yeah, I feel like he hasn't gotten a chance to like uh, really sink his teeth into something like he does here. And I think it's one of John Cusack's best performances, maybe even his best. So it's a really, really good movie. Um, and I, and I immediately came home and bought pet sounds oh. like, which I, I own. I already had a couple of the songs from it, but I bought the whole album and listened to it. And yeah, it's a pretty amazing. I have the, a CD of pet sounds that has, it has the entire album twice. It has it 
in stereo and then in mono, hmm. just back to back all in one because, you know, CDs can fit a lot of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, when I listen to it, I tend to just listen to it all the way through. Like, yeah. it's the kind of album that when it's over, it's like, ah, I'm going to listen to that yeah, again. It's like, oh, a bonus no track. The whole <laughs> yeah, album. The whole album, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I, David, I think you would like it. I think the listener would like it. It's just, it's informative and, but also, with biopics, I feel like so many of them are, are done in such a standard, boring way, technically. But this one, because we're dealing with someone who has some mental issues, um, I think it does a really good... It, it's hard to explain. The film feels kind of swirling to me uh, and mm. dis, and at times disorienting. So, I don't know. It's uh, I, I really liked it. Excuse we me. can move on. All right. The, well, there's only one film that I... Other than the dozen films or so that I saw at LA Film Fest, there's only one film I saw that I hadn't seen before. Okay. And I watched it just last night. Um, it's from 1981. It's directed by John Borman. It's called mm. Excalibur. Um, and, uh, I think I love it. It's so strange. It's such yeah. a strange movie because it has, it's a, it's, you know, a very much a sword and sorcery movie. It has no sense of irony or sense of humor about itself. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I forgot you've seen it. Yeah. It's, it takes itself very seriously and it's almost, there are times when I reflected on it, when I was like, it's, it doesn't make sense that this was made after Monty Python and the Holy Grail because yeah. it almost feels like Monty Python and the Holy Grail is specifically making fun of this movie at some points because it's so earnest. Mm-hmm. And there are times early on in the movie um, when I was having trouble getting like, what is he going for here? This is really corny. Like, like, like there's the fact that the knights in the movie <laughs> wear armor just all the time. Mm-hmm. Just like they're sitting around, they're, do- they're always in their full armor. Better safe than sorry, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Safety like, first. That's how they, that's how Arthur ran it. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that you could make fun of. And early on I was watching the movie. I was like kind of making fun of that. Like there's, you know, there's a uh, Gabriel Burns character um, in the guise of the person rapes a woman mm-hmm. early on. Um, in his full armor. Like, I don't even understand, like, logistically, how is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's not the, the point. Um, but as it goes on and you get caught up in its, uh, its, its pace and it's in this sort of haze that it puts over everything. I really, really came around on the movie. That's, I great, mean, that's a great way of putting it. By, by the way, like it's it, the phase the, the film seems hazy. Yeah both visually and yeah. tonally. Um, uh, and now I forgot what I was about to say. I'm sorry. Uh, that's all right. Um, damn, there was something. Oh yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's a true epic. It's mm-hmm. two hours and 20 minutes long, which is, I, I guess these days, the length of every movie, Yeah. but, um, it truly is an epic in that there's not like one story. There's a bunch of stories that mm-hmm. generally have to do with Arthur's reign. Yeah. Even though there's a whole part, there's a whole part with Percival searching for the Grail, where Arthur is almost completely sidelined. Yeah. For like probably almost 20 minutes in the movie, it seems like. Yeah. Um, and it has some of the cool stuff with all the dead knights hanging from the tree and the crow eating the yeah. eyes out of the knights. That knights. That's really creepy stuff. But also, like the fact that the entire movie, all the dialogue is looped is 80 yard. Yeah. Or at least it feels that way. I'm pretty sure it is to do that for, with this huge cast for a two hour and 20 minute movie. It's so weird, but it adds to this dreamlike quality yeah. of it. Um, it's also amazing that like he specifically cast John Borman cast unknowns. And yet the movie stars Gabriel Byrne and Liam Neeson yeah. and, uh, Kieran Hines and Patrick Stewart, like people who went on to have big careers, but well, they were and, unknowns. And Arthur's play by, is it Nigel Terry? Yeah. Who was fairly well known at the time. I mean, I think, I believe he was in uh, lion in winter and I think he'd been in some other stuff. So he was, you know, amongst certain people, he had a name, you know? Yeah. That's what's funny is that the people at like, Nigel Terry and um, Nicole Williamson, who plays Merlin at the mm-hmm. time, were like the biggest stars in the movie. Yeah, and are now like not the most famous people. Yeah, by if far. anything, they're now known for being an Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, also Helen Mirren, who mm-hmm. um, I, mean, I don't want to get like prurient or anything here, but 
Helen Mirren is a beautiful woman, but sometimes you like you uh, people our age came of age knowing her as an older beautiful woman. Yeah. She's gorgeous in this movie. Yeah. It's I mean she's supposed to be. She's an enchantress and a sorceress and stuff and it's just uh it's 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 breathtaking. It's a great performance, but also John Borman knows how to use the physicality. I mean, I'm not not, not even just her. I mean, all the all the men in the movie are sort of uh physical ideals, especially Lancelot, who I can't yeah. remember the name of that actor, but he's sort of he's a he's a real beefcake type. Yeah. Uh he he really uses good performances, but also the way that David Lynch does just uses bodies and forms, you know, to, yeah. to because like uh okay, this person is good, therefore he's big and strong. Yeah. Right? And then I guess this gets a little sexist, but like Morgana is evil and and seductive, therefore she's beautiful. Yeah. Um but in a sinister way. Uh I, I, I really, really love the movie. Um, it's, you know, we often talk about, talk about long movies, like our way of saying that a long movie is good is that it doesn't feel long, yeah. but Excalibur doesn't feel short or long. I yeah. think this dreamlike quality just feels like when you're watching it, you're like that might have been half an hour or that might have taken me all day to watch. I yeah. don't really know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I know there are some people who don't, I, I've read reviews since, but it has a generally good reputation. I should mention that, uh, one of the shows in the BP fleet, I do movies badly. Um, right. Yeah. Jim was assigned. I don't remember who assigned, uh, was it Tim Buell? No, my, Tim Buell did, uh, the yeah. South Korean revenge movies. Yeah. For life of me, I don't remember who it was, but I think it's somebody that I know or at least know of. But anyway, it was like eighties fantasy. Yeah. And Sword, one of them was, either. yeah. And yeah. one of them was Excalibur. And so, um, I, I want to go back and listen to that. Episode yeah. I, I, I actually didn't listen to it, which is frustrating. Cause like, cause I know that movie yeah. and I remember it pretty well, but, uh, and it's, and I think, I think of the film as really grimy and like, and like unpleasant, but I should but, specify I saw it as a function of an Arthurian myth class that I took in college. Mm -hmm. We had just finished reading The Once and Future King, which, while it doesn't, you know, uh, by, I think, T.H. White? I don't remember exactly, but anyway. um, It doesn't necessarily paint, like, a perfect portrait of all these characters. They're flawed, but it still has this, like, really resounding, you know, uh, upbeat's not the word, but an, an inspiring quality to it. Then you see this film where everything seems to be like, you know, everything's like on the moors, you know, where it's like, it's very foggy and wet and there's but it, no, now, can I ask when you saw it, mm-hmm. was it VHS or DVD? Was it, was it in HD? Probably not. Uh, right? probably not. I believe it was DVD. Yeah. So I saw it in HD yeah. and maybe that added to, maybe that's the right way to see it because it's beautiful. I mean, it is foggy yeah. and damp and it's raining a lot of the time, yeah. but it's also incredibly lush and there are some effect shots that, uh, man, I, I just, I, I don't want to sound like an old fogey being like, bah, C, CGI is, is yeah. you know, makes everything soulless. But it, it really is cool that there are effect shots that you go, oh, I wonder how they did that. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, some of it is matte paintings or some of yeah. it, some of it I read about, like there's, you know, hidden mirrors so something you're seeing is actually a mm-hmm. reflection of something to make it look like it's off in the distance yeah. it's a reflection of a painting that's off screen it's I mean, really that, cool that, stuff when you think about it when we talk about like the sense of wonder that can come with film years you know two decades and, and further back ago part of the wonder was i literally cannot figure out how they did it right now you see something that looks amazing and you think oh a computer right yeah now within that you may not know how they did it but you know that you you know that like someone was sitting in a computer and figured it all out right yeah whereas you know when you watch something we just did the alien commentary and so in watching those like those special effects are amazing because all everything was physical except occasionally you'll there's a matte painting in a movie in 1986 a sci-fi movie no less Mm -hmm. there's a matte painting yeah and the matte painting is for some is like oh we'll show you know uh We'll show. I don't know what you'd call it, but like the the garage of of the ship with where all, <laughs> yeah. uh, where all the uh, smaller ships and stuff are, uh, the loading bay, I guess you could say. 
And so it's big, but it's not that big, but it's big enough that they had a matte painting. It's like, yeah, but those actors are right there. Yeah. So like, and it didn't, it never occurred to me that that's what it was until seeing it recently on Blu-ray, by the way. Yeah. Uh, by the way, speaking of the alien movies, uh, Excalibur and alien three, same DP, Alex Thompson, I think is his name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> actually, both, both movies I find to be uh, visually unpleasant. So, um, <laughs> all right, what's next for you next for me is, okay. What did I talk about? You talked about love and mercy last. Okay. Oh, I saw a movie by a friend of the show, Rodney Asher. I saw oh. the nightmare. Is it terrifying? Yes. It is also incredibly intriguing. Uh, and here's a, here's a Tyler Smith fun fact. Back in March, you can actually hear an episode of more than one lesson where Josh and I are talking about the Christian film. Do you believe? And at the beginning, we're talking about dreams. And I mentioned a dream that I had a couple nights before. And I described what the dream was. It was a nightmare. Um, and I described what it was <laughs> and I, it struck me as just a particularly strange nightmare that was very terrifying. I watch old Rodney Asher's film and I was like, Whoa, that's weird because when people have sleep paralysis, they will tend to, there will be recurring elements in everybody's dream. And one of them is the shadow man, which is somebody who's like, it's, they said like a three dimensional shadow. There's no details. It's just a physical form. That's just completely black. Um, and it's, it's always coming towards you. You can't move. Sometimes the shadow man will have burning red eyes. The dream I had, Sam getting creeped out. Just listening to you talk about this. The dream that I had was that, so, you know, I'm in my house and there are stairs at my house. Uh-huh. I'm standing at the top of my stairs at the bottom is a little girl completely black. You can just make, you just, you can tell that she's shorter and she's like wearing a dress, but you don't see any details. It's just all black burning red eyes and with a giant knife (laughs) and is slowly walking up the stairs towards me and I cannot move. And I woke up not necessarily screaming per se, but making a noise. And, uh, and I was very unsettled and I just assumed it was a weird nightmare. But then I watched this. I'm like, black can't move red eyes moving towards me boy that sounds familiar and then rodney in the movie himself said that he had one he had sleep paralysis once and he saw the same thing he saw the black figure and all that um the film is is i I love you know it's i feel it always feels weird speaking so highly of a film directed by someone we know right but um but i like the way rodney makes makes movies um he is objective. He does not judge people. Like there is a woman who here's a, a story that, and by the way, this is the story that's going to make us talk about the nightmare on more than one lesson around Halloween time. Okay. She tells the story that she's, she goes into sleep paralysis. She's laying on her side. And then she feels one of these things basically laying on the bed behind her, just screaming in her ear. And she has this moment where Cause she's not like a Christian or spiritually minded at all. And she's like, okay, I seem to remember there being a guy named Jesus. Yeah. And I think his name has power. Maybe I'll do that. And so she says in the name of Jesus, go away. The thing goes away. She never suffers from sleep paralysis again. And she becomes a Christian. That's an actual story. I can see this movie. I'm and so terrified right now. Yeah. I'm going to have the worst nightmares tonight. <laughs> I'll say what that. What are you doing to me? I saw it alone in the theater when my, and my wife was out of town. So I came home to just like, well, time to lay in bed. Uh Oh, <laughs> and just, <laughs> and even though people regularly like would have this with their significant other right next to them, uh, for me, like it's just having Jen there is, is helpful. And of course, fucking Rodney, the imagery wasn't inherently frightening to me, but son of a bitch, if he didn't get a spider in there, oh, sure. a tarantula, <laughs> no less right at the screen and just, uh, but man, it's just such a, such a, I mean, you saw room two thirty seven. There's yep. a, there's a, an ethereal quality to how it unfolds. Right. And this feels like that. I believe it's on VOD. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I highly recommend it. I can't speak highly enough about it. 
I emailed Rodney right after and said, Hey, great job. Hey, by the way, here's a link to Mm -hmm. the episode. Here's the time code. Does this sound like sleep paralysis to you? You know? And he said, that's yeah, that's, (laughs) you know, thanks for telling me. Um, so yeah, it's just such a, you know, there's one guy, that's the thing is like, there's these eight people. One of them became a Christian after all of this. Another guy just says like, after one instance of sleep paralysis, all he said, he didn't like become a Christian or anything, but all he said was like, he goes, he's like, I stopped being, being an atheist right there. Like people seem to really respond to this as though there's like an actual force that is beyond their mind. And then the fact that people throughout history and all around the world are seeing the same thing enforces that view for them. And it's just, (laughs) you gotta see it. All right. What's next? Uh, next. And the last one for me. Oh no, not the last one. Pardon me. Next is, um, a movie that you mentioned recently that I needed to rewatch and I had not seen it since 2001. And that is super troopers. Oh yeah. Which, uh, I was just thinking about that. You know what I was thinking about was the, um, (laughs) the bar of soap and the coffee. (laughs) Holy shit. I got you. Good. You you fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, obviously, people know about this. It's kind of a cult classic. Uh, man, it's, it is, this may sound strange. It's effortlessly funny. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's because these guys are all part of a comedy troupe. They just, the way they are with each other just feels so natural. Yeah. But then people who aren't part of the comedy troupe, like Brian Cox, just like, or the, um, I'm sorry, I forget the actor who recently died. Daniel Von Bargen. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. They're fantastic. They, they get caught right up in it. Yeah. And it's just, and even like Jim Gaffigan shows up as like a guy being pulled over yeah. and he's the one that they keep saying meow. And then he, he's like in that Jim Gaffigan way, he's like, I'm sorry, are you saying meow? <laughs> and then the three stoners at the beginning and at the end yeah. is yeah. marvelous. You know who is the secret MVP of that movie? Who's that? He has a, only one scene. Okay. Um, it's not... I, I forget. It's not the governor. Cause that's the woman later. That's it's like Carter. Yeah. It's the, the guy who comes in and poses with the, the, the mayor, the mayor and he yeah. grabs a shotgun and he goes, spread it on. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. And, uh, and I, I had recognized that guy from playing multiple criminals in various episodes of law and order. Uh. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, spread it on. Yeah, like the mayor wants to be taken, wants a photo taken of him, like aiming a gun at it, like pointing a gun at the camera. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, man, that's a funny movie. And it's just, and they're little hijinks. You would think after a while, it's just like, yeah, okay, it's it's very cute. But boy, I just wanted to see more of it. That's a movie that could have gone on for six hours and yeah. I would have laughed every and moment. They never, I, I don't know. I only, I, I saw Club Dread and I didn't think it was very good. Mm. And I never saw... What are the, what's the other one? Beer uh, Fest. Is that them? Beer Fest. Not Beer League. That's, That's the a different Lang one. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Beer Fest. And yeah. I think they're doing another... They, are they doing another Super Troopers? I think they might be. Yeah, hopefully they'll get funny again because Super Troopers is, is perfect. I could watch it over and over again. Yeah. It, I do feel like... Because I haven't seen it in 14 years. And now that I've seen it, I feel like, yeah, this one's going to work its way into the rotation, I think. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, I will talk about a rewatch. It's right over here because I just borrowed it from you. Um, a movie I hadn't seen uh, on the main episode uh, this week. We'll talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit because mm-hmm. they showed that at LA Film Fest, and I uh, a movie I hadn't actually seen since I was a kid. I also haven't seen or hadn't until recently seen Raiders of the Lost Ark until mm-hmm. since I was a kid. You know, I'm realizing that I have another rewatch. The other one that I gave back to you. I also rewatched Jaws. Yeah, so I have more movies than I thought I did. But I'd seen Jaws a little more recently. I think maybe not. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it's, uh, it's amazing. Of mm-hmm. course, there's no, uh, denying it, but, um, the thing I felt differently about than I did when I was a kid is now I recognize it as a postmodern film. That's a, that's a reference to all this other stuff from the past and an yeah. updating of it. Um, when I was a kid, I just took everything as, as it was, mm-hmm. you know, I took it at face value. Right. Um, but now I really think it can still work. I think it still works great at face value. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's certain like, 
the idea that these ancient South American tribes, whatever they're supposed to be, Incas yeah. or whatever, had developed all this, like these pneumatics and like yeah, booby yeah. traps and stuff. Yeah, like this Rube Goldberg kind of thing. Yeah. Like I, I find myself thinking like, well, that, I don't know if they would have had that technology. Yeah. And what is that technology? Yeah. And once one person goes across that floor with the arrows that spit out, yeah. do they reload behind the walls? Or is that just, is it just a one-time f- thing? Did they find the perfectly spherical boulder? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Or did they carve yeah. it? That sort of thing. Um, and then once it falls once, it's like, all right, everybody, reset. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Back to one. <laughs> um, uh but that didn't stop me from from loving it. Um, but also thinking about uh, another thing again that I just yeah, took at face. I up. should say everything we just said. That's not a flaw with the no, film. no, not at all. It's, you know? it's a lot of fun. But um, the other thing that's the sort of update on these old timey serial adventure type movies and stories is that Raiders of the Lost Ark is so violent. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I didn't think of it like when stuff would happen to be like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Like the guy, you know, the propeller hitting the guy in the back of the yeah. head, or there's a guy who gets thrown off the, like my favorite part when I was a kid. And my favorite part now is the truck sequence. Oh, yeah, like yeah. the whole action sequence on the truck. Um, is awesome. But when the one guy gets like run over and you see like, uh, I mean, it's clearly shot like using force perspective yeah, yeah. in front of the truck, but you see like oh, his arms and legs go up as, as yeah. the truck runs over. It's like, Oh geez, Louise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of like, uh, that, that's, that's definitely the update on that, on that stuff. But it does feel like that's what, if you were a kid and you'd seen this old timey serial, when you'd act it out with your friends, you would probably make it more violent, right? Because you're, oh, sure. especially Absolutely. if you're a young boy, like that's the kind yeah. of thing you would do. And so Steven Spielberg was just like, Oh, you'll let me get away with this. Yeah. We're going to splatter yeah. blood all over the place. Well, and, and also, so there's a, you never saw sin city, right? No, I never did. There's a line that I really like. Mickey Rourke has it something to the effect of it's like, Oh, he's like hitman. I love him. You can do anything you want to him and not feel bad. <laughs> and I feel like that's how it is with Nazis. Yeah, right. it's like, yeah. We've got Nazis. You can be as cruel as you want to them. And yeah. uh, by the way, at the end, uh, they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then I, I will mention jaws cause I forgot that I was going to mention it. Um, uh, Joss is obviously also amazing, but I did, I was talking to you off mic mm-hmm. about how things change in your memory. And there's so, so much time in the movie where it's just the three of them on the boat at yeah. the end where, uh, it's, it becomes more of an adventure movie than a horror movie. Yeah. And as you pointed out, there are still horror elements in, in that sequence, Yeah, but it doesn't feel in my memory. There was more of the early sort of horror stuff. I think that's, um, that's the stuff I respond to best about the movie. Um, and about uh, in my favorite horror movies, often the stuff I respond to is when the thing that you're supposed to be scared of isn't actually happening, but mm-hmm. the fact that everyone's scared of it yeah. makes the movie scary, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, when, Brody and his wife are talking, he's flipping through the picture book and their son's out in the boat next yeah. to the, like there's, there's just a tension there, even though the shark yeah. isn't anywhere in that scene, yeah. but there's a tension there that feels like a classic horror type of thing. Yeah. Um, that's what I respond to best in the movie, which I'm not saying that I like it less, but, uh, it, it was surprising to me how much time having, having not seen it in a long time, I was surprised by how, uh, how much time is just the three guys in the boat, which I respond to a great deal because that's a lot of good character stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and that, I think, you know, that, that makes the horror sequences when they're out at sea more horrific, you know, when you, like, like the cage, sequence when the cage you, sequence, yeah. you know, if we didn't know, if we hadn't spent so much time with Hooper, that sequence would be still frightening, but I wouldn't feel as invested when Quint dies. Like I've seen jaws. So die hard is yours. Uh-huh. Uh, jaws is mine. The movie I've seen more than any others. And every time Quint dies, my heart is pounding. Why? I could tell you, like I can give you the exact kind of scream. He's going to do at uh-huh. every moment. I can tell you the progression of his death. 
So my heart is beating not because I'm being surprised by what's happening, but because a character I care about is dying a terrible death. Right. And it makes it more horrific. And so I'm perfectly okay with spending that time. And also just the idea that like, that they're out there. And to me, there is that tension because even when they start singing, show me the way to go home, Uh it's interrupted by the shark. And I remember in that moment, like many times when I say, it's like, Oh, but they were bonding. And now, Oh, like I get angry because like this thing, it just can't leave them alone. It won't leave anybody alone. You know? Um, So it's, you know, I I see what you mean. Yeah. It does. It definitely does change tones. Like even the music, becomes a bit more like the minute they I can I can even I can picture the shot there the boat is leaving the the uh, harbor you see a shot through Quint's window and through a, a pair of jaws oh, right. and as that's happening John Williams score turns a little piratey um, oh. you know and yeah, so I can imagine that yeah and then it kind of stays like that but then it still brings in this other stuff too can I talk before we move on from Spielberg I want to talk about both these movies you just talked about okay have very minor characters that I adore. Okay. At the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's Jock, the biplane pilot. Yeah. He says, oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie. <laughs> One of the greatest characters in cinema. Uh, in Jaws, there is, I don't know how I forgot about this, but it made me laugh so hard. The woman who owns the motel, who during the council meeting that ends up when one of the council members makes a joke and she just goes, I don't think that's funny. I'm sorry, but I just don't think that's funny. Yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we see her uh, a little bit here and there, but yeah, she's clearly like a, yeah. like a part of the board of tourism or whatever you want yeah. to call it. And yeah. Oh yeah. And there's like, a, I don't think that's funny. I don't think that's funny at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. She's great. Also, I forget, I don't even know who this guy is, but the guy, the mayor forces the one guy like go out in the water and there's that shot. Oh of, yeah. Like the kids smiling and happy on the raft and it's just he and his two, wife he and his are wife just are terrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome stuff. Yeah. All right. What's next for you? What's next and last for me is the film, um, hang on, next and last, yes, is uh, The End of the Tour. The End of the Tour. Which is, uh, I do not remember who directed it, but it stars Jason Siegel as David Foster Wallace and, um, and Jesse Eisenberg as the young Rolling Stone writer who interviews him right as uh, Infinite Jest is... Uh, you know, winning all kinds of book awards and getting him a lot of acclaim and that sort of thing. So, uh, it just covers the probably week and a half to two weeks that these guys spend together. And James Ponsolt is the director. Uh, what else has he done? Well, I'm going to tell you, he did the spectacular now. Uh Aha, which I did not see. Um, yeah, uh, I kind of, Oh, he also did smashed. Oh, that's right. Yes. Our our dear friend, Susan Burke. Co-written by it's, uh, I kind of love the movie. Um, I think it's, so I talked already about, um, about love and mercy and in the same way, anytime, anytime you depict an artist, it's not merely seeing their work and celebrating their work. For me, what also works is like, I need to be able to believe that this artist is capable of creating this level of art. And the way the char- the way Wallace is written and the way he's played by Jason Siegel, I absolutely believe it. I think Jason Siegel pretty much disappears. And, you know, at first there's a little bit of affectation, but you start to wonder, it's like, is that the character or is that the actor? And then you realize like, it could very well be the character. Um, Jesse Eisenberg, you know, continues to do really great work. And I also think the film is just written wonderfully because this could have been a situation where Jesse Eisenberg is just a nothing character. He's just our entry point into the brilliance of David Foster Wallace, but no, he's a full fledged character on his own. And it's very much about the two of them interacting with each other. And both of them know full well that we're not just two guys hanging out. You have an article to write. And frankly, the worse I look, the better your article is going to be. And so like there's, there's this, that constant tension between the two and sometimes it drops and they're able to enjoy themselves. But when the, when the walls go back up, it, it somehow seems more hurtful and they get a little spiteful of each other at times. It's just a, it's a really well put together film and I responded to it very well. Well, I think if it hadn't been for LA Film Fest, we probably would have been at the same screening, but I am seeing it in a few days. Mm. So by the time we do another one of these movie journals, 
we'll be able to talk about it. I hope you like it. Now, have you read any David Foster no. Wallace? I have not either. So I was going to read the, the, the cruise ship thing. A supposedly fun thing I'm about to do. Oh, yes, like yes, that. yes. Um, or that I, I don't know. That I'll never do. Uh, I'll never do again. That's what yeah. it is. I got it mixed up with, uh, um, what's his name? Chris Catherine's book. Oh, man. Uh, a dumb thing I'm about to do, I think is what that's called. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, uh, Chris Catherine, I'm a fan. Yeah, boy. He blew up, didn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, think I feel like were... a moment ago I didn't know him, and now I do. I, I feel like I didn't know him at the beginning of recording the uh, movie journal, and now I do. <laughs> yeah, but I guess if I mean in New York where he had a public access show for years, yeah, we probably would have known who he was. Yeah, I mean, I'm that. sure there are people that feel that way about like LA Comics and stuff like right, that. Right. Sure. Um, but uh, but I went and saw the film with the way I not unlike when I saw Love and Mercy with. Josh, who loves Brian Wilson, I went and saw uh, the end of the tour with friend of the show Jason Eakin, who loves David Foster Wallace, and because I just wanted to get some of his pretty who's read his writing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to read the thousand page Infinite Jest in order to write my review. Yeah, no uh, so um, and his and his perspective is very interesting um, because he said just the way the character's written, the way he's played, and even even things like the art direction. Because you see the inside of Wallace's house, and you genuinely believe this is the house that this man lives in. Um, it's just such a very complete film, and it feels like, you know, it's it's so strange when we th- when we think of movies that are like meticulously detailed. We'll think of you know, uh, Alien or just or things that require maybe like bringing you into a world. We tend not to think much or like Wes Anderson, you know, uh, we tend not to think of stuff of like, you know, character pieces with just lots of dialogue, but that can bring you into the character's world just as much as anything else. And I feel like this is a film that was very meticulously put together, uh, on, on everybody's level, costume designer, set designer, writer, actor. So it's just a, and I'll say this, this is a weird thing. Actually, uh, Pay close attention to the music. Okay. Don't look up who did it. Oh, okay. And then look at that credit at the end. That sounds fun. Yeah. I look forward to that. All right. The last movie I want to talk about. Now, we you mentioned Die Hard being the movie I'd seen more than any other. Mm. A close contender that I rewatched this week is The Princess Bride. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, again, I'll bring up uh, the what we're going to talk about in the main episode where I will mention that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a nearly perfect movie. I think the princess bride is a perfect movie. I don't think there's a single moment of that movie that is off. When I was younger, I used to be turned off by the glib quality to it. Um, and as time goes on, I realized that, Oh, it's not being glib. It's merely anachronistic and that's okay. Yeah. You know, more than okay. It's not them commenting and making fun of these types of stories and showing how above it they are. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like when I was younger, that's what I thought it was. But now it's like, no, there's just as much joy in this yeah. as, as if they played it a hundred percent straight. Yeah. And I, I don't, find, I, I just, I guess what I, I don't find myself questioning any of it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I could think it like, okay, so Florin and Gilder are made up countries, but Spain and Italy and Sicily like yeah, yeah. exist in this world as this Greenland. Uh, as Wallace Shawn says, um, right? Is that a good Wallace Shawn impression? <laughs> it's a perfect, perfect. Um, uh, it, it's the, and I think, yeah, I think it's specifically because it's not what you were just talking about mm-hmm. is why it holds up so well as a comedy because yes. it has so much, uh, joy in it. Yeah. And it uh, commits to it. Like, yeah, I think people would grow. I think it wouldn't have any longevity at all if it was genuinely like, Hey, let's send up these kind of dumb. Right. Yeah. But it has, um, I, I guess the best, you know, movies are things that you, uh, the best movies you tend to find new things mm-hmm. or feel like you rediscovered things, um, depending on how you see them or, or just where you are. At the time. And I, uh, there's a line that I always knew, but that got me so much this time, which is, uh, uh, is it, um, who's Prince Humperdinck? Uh, Chris, Chris Randon. Randon yeah. says to Christopher Guest, Tyrone, you know, I love watching you work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that made me laugh so hard, but also I saw it, it was an outdoor screening. Mm. Uh, one of those, I think um, they do an outdoor screening of princess bride every year. Yeah. I think it's yeah, always on the, does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and 
when, uh, I don't think the princess Bride is ever a movie that made me like tear up before, hmm. but when Inigo Montoya finally kills Christopher guest, yeah. the crowd went up and this is, it was like weirdly like wet and cold. Like you could feel like people were leaving during, uh, over the course of the movie. Cause it was yeah. like, it got colder than people expected it hmm. to be. Um, and so it kind of felt like the audience was tuned out of the movie. But at that point, everyone was like, yeah. And yeah. I was like, I got really emotional all of a sudden yeah. about that. And the fact that it's like, a nice moment, like him saying, like, I want and, my father back, you son of a bitch. Yeah. It's such a real. Yes. It's a real intensity there. And the fact that um, uh, Rob Reiner, right, mm-hmm. balances incredibly silly things. Yeah. Like my favorite thing when I was a kid is a bit of physical comedy. Okay which is still slayed at this outdoor screening. Um, when, uh, Wesley's been woken up from being mostly dead, right? Oh, yes. Yes. And Inigo and Fezzik put their hands in the middle yeah. to start their plan. And <laughs> Carrie Ellis does this thing of like trying to get his arm to flop over. Yeah. He like tries a couple of times and his arm flops over and lands on top of theirs. It was my favorite <laughs> thing as a kid. It's still funny today, but the fact that Rob Reiner is mixing these kind of things with self-aware type things, yeah. Um, like the, uh, the pit of despair. No. Don't even, <clears throat> don't even think about it. Yeah, it just that. couldn't be more, almost <laughs> sounds like a British talk show host yeah. in that moment. But the fact that he mixes that so well with the seriously emotional, the both yeah. the love story and the revenge story. And also the part that no matter how many times I see the movie, I always forget that it starts off with Fred Savage in bed playing video yeah. games. Yeah. So when it starts with that baseball video game, I was like, did they put in the wrong movie? Oh, right. <laughs> this is how the movie starts off. I forget. I literally, I'm talking about it now. I will have forgotten it. Next time I watch the movie, <laughs> I'll forget. That's how it starts off and, and be taken out of it. But that whole story and the way yeah. that the, that Fred Savage's character is, is changed and warmed up, uh, um, and, and how emotional it is, you know, how touching it is when he asks, Peter Falk to come back and read it to him again the next day. Yeah. It's, it, it really, it's a perfect movie and, the, and it balances all these different tones masterfully. It's yeah. It's, one of, it's one a, of the best movies ever made, I think. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely, I, I said, I certainly think one of the best comedies. Um, I mean, like the thing, the, fi- the film often feels so slight that I feel like I shouldn't say it's one of the best uh-huh. movies of all time, but it certainly has stood the test of time. Yeah. And it will always get new fans. Yeah. You know, and when you watch it, it's hard to point out a flaw with it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's one that no matter how many, how many times I watch it. And at this point I've seen it quite a bit. Um, yeah. Jen is a big fan of it. She watches it pretty frequently. And so, and if I'm passing through, I'll probably stop and watch at least the rest of this scene. Right. And then that will often turn into the rest of the film. All right, uh, that's it for movies. I have a couple of TV things. Do you I have anything? nothing. Okay, so uh, since we last talked, Adventure Time end, ended its season. Mm-hmm. I don't have much to say because I feel like every time we do one of these movie journals and I talk about Adventure Time, I talk about at least one really weird existential philosophical episode. And yeah, the season ended with that sort of thing where okay. Finn was lost in space, much like uh, Sandra Bullock and Gravity, just oh, spinning yeah. around out there. And then the, I guess, sentient essence of a comet okay. voiced by Tig Notaro, <laughs> came to him and offered him the opportunity to become non-corporeal like she is. Okay. And gave this speech about all the things that he, she, he could do, all the things that he'd leave behind and make his choice. And he made the choice to go back to, uh, ooh, which is earth, but mm-hmm. ooh, um, because he had, he's, I can't remember the exact name, but it's something like I've invested a lot in this meat life and I want to see how it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was fantastic. I really look forward to it. Uh, and then the other season that ended, um, just, uh, a few nights ago was Silicon Valley season two, which was, uh, a really funny comedy in season one. Mm-hmm. And, I think w- one of the subtly best shows on TV in season two. The yeah, way that is, uh, that seems to be the consensus. Yeah. It, the way it stepped up. And I, I think I talked about this. I don't know if I talked about it on here or on, Hey, watch this, but, um, in the first season, often it felt like here's our story. And then here are some bits we're doing that kind of feel a little sketchy or you know, not, not sketchy, like shady, but like, yeah. feel like little sketches. 
Um, and in, in, in season two, they really, uh, found a way to sort of meld that and make it all feel like part of the same world to, to like, we're talking with the, with princess bride to balance these tones of like, there are real stakes here and there's a real story going on. Um, but this is also a world where we can have really goofy things happen sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the other, one of the complaints I think I might, not complaints, but criticisms of season one. And I might have joined in on this was that the show seemed a little bit compared to entourage in that it seemed like every episode there was like, Oh no, something bad oh, has happened. Okay, yeah. And then it sort of gets resolved by the resolved by the end. Season two found a really great way to, sort of counter that to be almost the opposite of that, where there's a problem every episode, they seem to resolve it. And often in many cases they do resolve it, but in resolving it, they end up creating a worse problem for themselves. So it becomes this thing of building. Like they're always putting out these fires that they're often creating themselves. Is it Um, stressful or is it, it uh, can be actually really stressful sometimes. Uh, but it's, uh, it's fantastic. And, um, I won't, I won't say what it is because to people who haven't seen it, it'd be a spoiler or to people who don't care to see it, it wouldn't make any sense. But TJ Miller gets the last line of the season and it's hilarious. Mm. He knocks it out of the park. So that's it for the movie journal this week, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I did a rewatch of, uh, so friend of the show, Rob Sesternino has put oh, okay. out, has, uh, put out this thing, uh, where he's been doing a rewatch of every season of survivor and he and this guy Josh will record like a grand total. It's it's split up into chapters, but like a grand total of like eleven to thirteen hours of discussion of each season. And so I listen to that because I enjoy it. And it's you know, I should specify it to people once again in case you forgot. My job is such that I always need something to listen to, <laughs> and so um, so I've been doing that and invariably I will start listening and immediately I'm like, well, I better rewatch this season. So I did rewatch, uh, season 14 survivor Fiji. And, uh, it's a really good season and it has a a winner that, uh, you know, I, I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, you, you watch amazing race, so I'm sure you can think in these terms as well that like the idea of the deserving winner and the not deserving winner. Now, because of the amazing race, it's, it's, an argument could be made that like, well, if you made it to the end, like you clearly deserve it, you know? Um, and then, but with survivor, it's often like there are people who say that was not a great winner. Like that was a fluke. Uh, that was, that person was created because other people self-destructed. Um, and, uh, survivor Fiji has a guy named Earl as the winner. And he, in my opinion, is one of the better winners, uh, but people don't talk about him very much because they don't like the season that much. Um, but I think he did a great job. He was actually the first winner to get to be uh, to win unanimously, and uh, in fourteen seasons. So like, that's kind of it, it, I don't know. It's when you watch enough Survivor or enough of anything, really, you kind of get a, a sense for the intangible qualities of it. Do you know what I mean? That are okay. hard to even express. That like he played a certain type of game where you can see him making choices, but the choices seem so, I use this term with super troopers, it seems so effortless okay. that by the, that it just, it's like when he wins, like, of course he should win. Absolutely. And then you say, why should he win? It's like, huh? It just because he's the winner, like, because, because <laughs> he was the winner the whole season because it was inevitable. Right. Like when you watch it, it's like, because no one else could have won. That's why. You know, it's, it's a weird thing yeah. to explain. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Real quick, because I was just talking with the princess bride, every time you say the word survivor, I hear under the giant, there will be no survivors. Well, I remember him, <laughs> I, I used to do an Andre the giant impression. Okay. Uh, in which I would say the dread pirate Roberts is here for your soul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will do it now. Okay. It is. I will say I'm a bit rusty. All right. But let's try it. <clears throat> I think he rushed it a little bit. Yeah, what was he, that? I think he rushed it a little Probably, bit. Probably, yeah, because I, f- I felt embarrassed. Oh, it was good. No, I Thank liked you. it. Um, okay, so that's the movie journal. Now, we don't do ads in the movie journal. We but do a couple not. plugs real quick. Yes. The Alien Marathon commentary with special guests. 
uh, is available. Mm-hmm. Um, it is $3 per commentary, or you can get all four of them for 10. So you save a couple of bucks yeah. and you get and the whole thing, which is really how it was designed. Absolutely. Um, and, and if you can watch them all in, if you can watch the movies and listen to the commentaries all in one day, you can just hear us get more and more tired, yeah. which is really <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is if you'll be at Comic-Con, we'll be at Comic-Con mm-hmm. and Thursday, July 9th from eight to 10 PM. We'll be hanging out at the bootlegger. That's a bar in the gas lamp. Google it, find out the address. Um, by next week I'll have the address. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, come by and say hi. It'll be us and, uh, and Ryan from Criterion cast and the, uh, Warner archive guys yep. hanging out and having a meetup. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Bye.